The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. This is a CW Spiral, a podcast run by two barchies and a bughead. We're your hosts, Sabrina Reed, Michael Patterson, and Reed Gowden. Bringing you history about the network, the latest news, and in-depth, spoiler-filled discussions of some of our favorite shows on the CW. So this pod was supposed to be a mini pod. We came into our brainstorm like, you know, this is going to be cute. It's going to be sweet. We're not even going to be here that long. And then CW started rolling out news after news after news. And it was like, dang, we planned to lay the flowers on Stargirl's grave because we're upset about that because she got canceled. Uh, and CW was like, that's not the only thing we have to tell you. So it's it's been quite a ride. But first, we're going to start with Stargirl because... Honestly, considering what Nexstar had said about ratings, it's not fair that she is did not get renewed. I'm tired, guys. I'm so tired. Um, here we are again. I'm pretty sure I said that last week about Nancy. And it's just like, when does this end? Is it, does it end when there's no shows left? And I mean, not to get analytical because this one feels a little more personal because you all know how much I love Stargirl. And... It's just like, what, again, what went into this decision? Like, are we talking about shows performances? Like, that can't be the thing anymore here, because as we'll see in the ratings game later on, Stargirl was holding her own with no promotion whatsoever up there in the top four week in, week out. And it felt to me like this was a show. It could end have ended after its third season, and if that had been the creative decision, that would have been fine. But I fe- always felt like this show could maybe have had one or two more years, and it couldn't have gone on for long because they have the high school setting, but it could have had one or two more years left in it, and it just feels like yet another light has been snuffed out by, by the CW, and it's like, when, when does it all end? It's just shady, because like, as I said last week, there's like no transparency we weren't given a reason why and they can't say it's ratings because as Michael, you just mentioned, the ratings have been pretty good. Um, it, it just sucks to see that the fans have been fighting, watching the show, trying to lift her up. And it was all as it turned out for nothing because we thought the goalpost was in one area and they were like, JK, we made that up as far as we know. And it also sucks that they left her hanging out to dry for so long. She didn't get to premiere like earlier. They left her out to kick off fall earlier than traditional, traditionally. And, and this is how it ends. Nothing makes sense for this particular cancellation. It doesn't, because if on the night ratings were 
as important as they seem to be made out to be in every article that was coming out about the CW, Star Girls in the number three spot. Like, um, like um, three and four going back and forth, right? So like you have, yes, everyone's talking about Walker and, and Walker Independence and the Winchesters, but Starkle's been up there with them. Like, and that is a lot to do with the fans rallying and getting information out to everybody. When she dipped sharply, they were like, look, y'all need to turn your TVs on. I don't care if you're not in the room, turn it on. <laughs> like, and they were streaming next day too. So it's just like, I've actually... I don't think I've seen a show rally like fans rally like this in this capacity as far as the beginning of the season in the middle. And as we're heading towards the end in the way that they've increased the viewership by so much because they know they knew how much it was important. And now it feels like it wasn't like um, that that didn't factor into the Stargirl decision. And like you said, there isn't transparency, which then, you know, makes people have like different theories. Like, did you already know you were going to? Um, Sunset Stargirl, if you did know that, why didn't you just say that at the beginning of the season? Like, why is it, why are they halfway through nearing their end and now everybody is is learning that they canceled it? That's what stresses me out because then you see fandoms coming, drawing their own conclusions based on whether it's conjecture or what they've heard from certain quotes. And it just, it creates this environment of, nobody knows what's going on. So everyone just has their own opinions and beliefs about this thing that happened when the CW could so easily be like, oh, it was about money. I'm just throwing that out there. That's not really what they said. Um, But even if they did say that, they have to explain why, because you're you're talking to a fandom that has been burned. So they're not going to be as accepting to these explanations that they don't understand but i would still rather be in that boat than to have fans just be like chasing their tails on twitter arguing with each other and trying to figure out and and understand why that this why this happened to them i think the issue too is that part of this feels like a dc airverse problem with the cw um because DCTV on that network seems to be up in the air about the direction that they want to take. And this is my personal thoughts. So like take this with that in mind, but I'm just like, are we sunsetting the airverse? And that's, and that is why she's gone. Like she too was still only tangentially connected to it, but, and she's not even a really a veteran show, but she's, she, she was in season three. So we're just going to say she, she's a, uh, so that's been on with the rest of the Arrowverse. Uh, so if they are doing that and we're just leaving Superman and Lois, which that's another show people are panicking about right now. Um, does that mean that the, the next are just wants their own brand of DC? Like, and so they don't want any shows that came from the previous era with perhaps the exception to Superman and Lois because everything else that's coming, there's Gotham Knights. And then if Justice U gets picked up, those will be their shows. They will not be the previous regime. Yeah, and that's quite troubling, but I feel like that also makes sense because Superman and Lois was the one that publicly divorced itself from the Arrowverse, whereas the Stargirl reference in Crisis on Infinite Earths before the show even began made it clear that the show was somewhat tied to it, whereas Superman and Lois has kind of done the opposite now. And I, I do, I get it in theory because the universe is dying, but it's this network that killed the universe. So again, are they to blame for it? It's just... It, 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 you're right you're, you guys are totally right when you said there's been no transparency there's nothing you, there's no like 
one path or school of thought to follow here. It could be any number of reasons, but they haven't been pretty clear about any of them. They said that on the night ratings are important. So the fans came out and give it its, uh, give the show its most watched, I think second most watched episode ever or of the season last week. It's up there with Walker Independence and the Winchesters last week. These shows that had mountains of promo for the CW behind them, Stargirl had none, and yet it was still holding its own with that viewership. So there was so much going into it, and fans took that on board. They listened to it, and they came out. If you look, if you live tweet with all of the CW shows, you'll see the Stargirl fandom is one of the more active ones during the week. So they did everything they were told. They did they they foresaw this coming, and now the report suggests that the season was the season was they were told before the season ended to give and Jeff Johns, Breck Bassinger confirmed that Jeff Johns has filmed two endings. So I assume we'll be getting the more definitive one now. So they knew that, but did they know that back in March when they were filming because of the original CW call where all the shows didn't make it? Or did they know that because regardless of whether the show survived the CW call, which it did, it would be the final season anyway. It's still very confusing. And even if they did want to promote the show as part of their lineup and didn't want to promote it as the final season in case fans didn't tune in, why wait until eight episodes in to make that announcement? Why wait until the show gets its one of its audience highs to make that announcement? Why now? You know what I mean? I know Nextar have just all just taken over within the last month, but it feels like even more than that, why after the show won a Saturn Award? Why now? It feels like everything that was working in the show's favor that should have gotten it a new season suddenly just came right before it was canceled or final season or ended, whatever you want to call that. But this 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 show was a holdover from last season. It should have aired last season. The cast were holding on for updates and announcements. So why did they wait for it to almost complete its whole season to make this announcement if by the reports it looks like the decision had been made already? Honestly, seems janky. <laughs> it's just this whole rollout um, has been a mess. Um, it's just chaos everywhere. And it is because of lack of transparency. And it doesn't seem to, well, that's not true. It has been, it has improved, but that is because of Brad Swartz, who we'll mm. talk about soon. Um, but I don't even know what else to say about Stargirl besides, of course, like happy that this show is going to get what is hopefully a satisfactory ending because that's the other issue of um, the top-down decision to give all the shows a heads up um, that they could not go forward for another, they may not go forward with another season was that wondering how far into their seasons were they before they got that news. Some I know hadn't been, weren't too far, were they were like maybe in the middle so they, were, they had enough episodes and I think others were like two to three episodes away from the finale. So I'm just like wondering where Stargirl fell with that. Like and how, how, how much of the ties are they going to be able to tie, like the loose ends are they going to be able to tie up in the amount of time that they may have been given, which seems like it was probably towards the end of their season in the first place, but we don't know because no transparency. Yeah. It's going to be an interesting one because we have seen how it's impacted shows already. You have a show like Batwoman that was pretty much just finished out its season, but nonetheless, given some of the endings we got from all the other shows, that was pretty satisfactory. Then you have a show like Dynasty where you can almost see where the writing flipped towards writing towards a series finale instead of a season finale. 
will Stargirl land in the middle? I will say in the show's defense, it always completely wraps up its storylines with a neat little bow and just leaves a small teaser at the end to make you want to tune into the next season. I feel like it'll do the same again, only without the small teaser now. So hopefully all things considered, that should be a satisfactory ending. As a fan of the show, I hope it is a satisfactory ending. I do trust the people or the cast, the crew and everyone who said we will get a satisfactory ending so far. So I can only hope. It's just I... I do. I feel for everyone involved except the CW because they clearly made this decision. That's true. The um, though y'all should should know, it didn't seem like it was going to get shocked, which is why we are speaking in um, final terms because it would have came up in the news um, in any of the comments. Though I'm hoping that since they did want to put Star Girl in the DCEU, that Brett gets to don her costume again, or, you know, an updated one for the movies, who knows? <laughs> um, and she gets to, um, she gets to step into the sh- her shoes again. Oh, I love that. I mean, we know she's going to replay re, uh, the role on Titans next season or this season, but I believe it will be in the second half of the season next year. So, I mean, it'll be great that after Stargirl ends, we will see Breck in the outfit at least one more time. But I mean, like Courtney Whitmore's story just felt like it was getting started. So I don't think you'll find a more definitive Stargirl. So I hope that we do get to see her play the role again. And I mean, with the Justice Society of America making their debut in the DCEU on the big screen, Black Adam sequel, bring Stargirl in. This is your chance now, do it right. Yes, fingers crossed. In other news, um, Walker Independence and the Winchesters did not get a back order, which I mean, to quote Deadline, not surprising. <laughs> um, <laughs> but the I know that should cause some panic for some people because they thought that might have been signaling towards they weren't going to get picked up for season two. And we don't have renewal news if that hasn't come through yet, but it also isn't signaling a cancellation. I Honestly, I was actually surprised that people were concerned because CW shows don't always get back orders. Like they've been living in 13 episode land for a bit now with um, maybe an additional two episodes ordered with exception to some shows. So I was like, oh, okay, fine. Um, it did not... Um, make panic. And we're in such a non-traditional era of television anyway that episode orders aren't 13 or 22 anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And it makes sense too if they're trying to cut costs that they would they would just be like, you know what? They're successful. Um, That doesn't mean we need more right now. Um, Part of me is a little, I mean, there is a little bit of concern just based on um, how information has been trickling out of this network. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm like, I'm trusting that you're saying this doesn't mean cancellation, but fool me once, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm not, I, I know there was a lot of uh, panic over this. <laughs> I think we were all hoping that there would be better, a better headline about these two shows, given how well they've performed for the network. Um, but yeah, I'm not, I, I'm, you know what? I'm going to go with the flow on this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I get that totally. And I think the thing that works against the report right now is just its timing. You have this report coming out right after two big tent poles of the network have been final seasoned or ended or canceled or whatever you want to call it. It is getting so confusing out here, but um, it's not, I've been burned by this network so many times this year alone and so, and logic has failed me because logic dictated that some of these shows should have gotten renewed for new seasons, but I'm still going to go with logic here and say that it's not that worrying for me yet. Anyway, 
because at the end of the day, yes, like Reed said, we are in a completely different era of television. And I do think the post-pandemic world has a lot to do with that. Unless you're one of the network's top two performers and a veteran show, you're not going to get more episodes or, or the Netflix deal dictates that you have to have more episodes, aka Riverdale and Dynasty. But all in all, network TV is decreasing and that's totally understandable and that's normal. But also we have to take into account the fact that this CW wants to produce high quality or high rating programming for less. And one way to do that for less is to have less episodes in a season. And everyone is out there freaking out saying this means these shows are going the way of the other ones and that they're not going to return for new seasons. And that could very well happen here. That's a very realistic possibility because any, and nothing is off the table with this network. But it's also worth bearing in mind that this is just the first step in cost cutting and cost cutting towards new shows might mean that the network does plan on keeping them around. It's just thinking of new ways to cut costs. Maybe it'll get a full season in its second season, but I just think it's unlikely going forward. The easiest way to cut costs when making television is to produce less episodes. So I just feel like that's the first step in the cost cutting process. And at the end of the day, 13 episodes feels like prestige TV. And I think it'll benefit every show at the end of the day because some shows go on for too long. We've seen it on this network far too much. Riverdale. storytelling. Yeah. And I know, I feel like that we've seen the tides turn, which is really puzzling to me. I'm going to get on a soapbox real quick. That was not planned. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. But people are like, what happened to 22 episode seasons? And I'm like, you guys happened. You guys turned to streaming where they're turning out like 10 episode, eight episode, six episode seasons. And you guys were all for that in the beginning of the streaming era. And now that's all that's happening is streaming TV shows. That's why we have 18,000 streaming platforms are all fighting with each other and ruining broadcast television. And now you guys are like, hold on a minute. I liked the filler episodes from 2004. And it's like, we can't have it both ways anymore. Too much has changed. Like we're never going to get that kind of luxury storytelling where you can have a ship. Okay. Now I'm getting really specific (laughs) where you can have a ship slow burn for six seasons, where you can see Joey Potter waffle between Dawson and Pacey for six years because they had the time. They had the luxury of, of taking their time with storytelling. Now you have to get in while you fit in day two is not a given. So it's like, okay, I'm going to end the rant there. I hope that that said something, but I'm just like so frustrated with the new episode count debate. And it's like, can we like settle on what we like now? Either the streaming 10 episodes or we love the 22 episodes. It it just frustrates me when they see people wanting what they used to hate. And it's like, pick one. I don't know. Like I'm, I'm all for people changing their minds and growing, (laughs) (laughs) but I'm like, I don't know. It stresses me out. Okay, end rant there. (laughs) That's understandable, though, because it is there does seem to be a change in tide, like you mentioned, um, between people wanting more episodes in their seasons. I will say, though, for uh, the Winchesters, at least, it does seem like they had always been shaped around 13 episodes. I mean, when I talked to Bianca Kaljic, they were... She was just, well, she couldn't give me too much about like stuff that was happening in the later part of the seasons. But in episode nine, she had mentioned that that's an episode where like... Millie has to face her fear and that of uh, her one of her biggest fears and that seemed like something you would do later in the season anyway because just she's just started being a part of the fun so mm-hmm. like of course at some point she's going to brush up against her own insecurities and things that um she's been sort of pushing down because apparently that's the Winchester way uh and I don't know about Walker Independence and how they're 
shaping things if it was always supposed to be 13 episodes to be honest around we're going through theirs and I'm like we feel it still feels like there's a lot of stories so perhaps they would have benefited from um, a higher episode count but it's just it's this is what we're getting I, this is what the CW does uh mm-hmm. at least it's not four episodes I mean I watched a four episode series and I was, it was good it was the girl before um it had a gugum bath in it and it was wonderful, but I was like, this is not, this could have just been a movie. I mean, I enjoyed it, but <laughs> if you're giving me four episodes, we could have just streamlined this. So in, in this era of television where um, writers can kind of do whatever they want on streaming as far as length goes, I'm happier to have more episodes and thir- at 13 and then have an option for like 18 episodes or get to 22 episodes, but people do have to pick a side. Like either you like this six hours that you can just binge all the way straight through or you want to commit to a season and have it grow. Um, though I will say that's probably 22 episodes outside of procedurals probably is not happening anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't and, think of anything else. Yeah, like the superhero shows did it for years and even they were criticized for uh, losing their way along the, along the run. And at the end of the day, they lent themselves to the procedural format nicely. Sometimes 22 episodes just is too much. And I think that was kind of like a pivotal change in TV. Like when these prestige streaming television shows start. I come from a country where the British television was on every night and there were six part dramas in and out. And that was that. Of course, back in the day, I was like, why can't we have 22 episodes over here? And I totally got it. But the fact is, less is more. And that also equates to cost. I think that's all the CW is trying to do here. And not to, not to defend them after this week, because I'm certainly not doing that. But I do think it makes sense. So I've seen people automatically assume it, right, these shows are not getting season two. And you're like, no, 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 no. Producing a full season two, is it going to be a lot cheaper after a shorter season one? Than producing a full length season one so you have to be logical here this this company this network is trying to cut costs and at the end of the day less episodes means they have more money to spend on other areas perhaps even new shows perhaps second seasons whatever it may be but just don't yes we've been burned but just don't let what is happening in recent weeks automatically turn you off to the possibility that yeah these shows could get second seasons yeah we're getting anything yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, that and that they're committing to air these episodes we grew up in an era of television where shows got canceled after one four six oh, episodes yes and then if anything else was filmed unaired you'd never mm-hmm. see it again so like <laughs> they pulled I, that thing off the air and you're like wow yeah god forbid we get back to that era let's not speak <laughs> that into existence so like i'm just grateful we're getting anything <laughs> well yeah and dennis miller popped out like to be like this does not mean that this is a cancellation it's just a business decision and i was like oh well we haven't seen you um except for like quotes saying oh so-and-so was lovely but they are leaving the company and here's who's replacing them like that's, that's when we've been seeing dennis um but since we're talking about like hires we did get three very important ones we're gonna stop start with the um the top dog of cw entertainment and that's rad swartz who uh, was making the rounds with interviews. We haven't even gotten through all of them ourselves, um, but he has given a bunch of information. It kind of made me feel like, did Brad tell them we need to start talking to people? <laughs> in no, the I was like, Brad, keep talking, dude. I love this. Because <laughs> <laughs> he was sharing as much as he possibly could. Um, I think the biggest takeaway at least for me, has been the amount of times that he's had, he had to say it needs to be profitable. 
that is going to decide whether a show stays or it goes. I think in the Hollywood Reporter one, that sentence came up like 10 times. He was <laughs> emphasizing it. In fact, in one section, he said it um, in two separate sentences in the same point that he was making. I was like, I get it, Brad. It has to make money. <laughs> the PR told him to use that word and he ran with it. Um, uh, I think it's important to highlight that every time the words the CW unprofitable were used throughout this whole last year, everybody was like laughing in the comments saying this network never made any money. This network was per explained the budgetary issues. And you're like, no, no, that's not the same thing. Brad explained it very well when he said in that interview that the reason the CW has never been profitable as a network has because it has been a hub for bigger networks to put shows that can then err and then be sold to international audiences for much more money. Thereby, the shows become profitable, even if the network is not. And to use an example of how the network never gets credit, if Arrow is released on DVD over here, it says Warner Brothers. Even though Dynasty is on Netflix, it says CBS after it's finished. So the studios are getting all the credit and the studios are making the money. The CW is nowhere to be seen outside of the US. I don't know whether they plan on changing that because it certainly doesn't sound like they're focused solely on international audiences the way the original CW was. But I do think you're going to see the, the building of the CW as a brand, because over the last couple of years, it's kind of just been running on vibes and its reputation from the Gossip Girl and Vampire Diaries and Arrow Stairs. Whereas now I think we're going to see them try to build the CW as a brand with compelling original CW content and thereby original CW shows can be sold and the network will finally make profit. The network will be more of a brand. I appreciate it. I understand it. And that's the kind of transparency we were talking about last week that can actually help us go with the flow and understand where they're going because it's been hard out here. We did not know really what their end game is. It's not that clear, but it's a lot less vague than it was beforehand. For sure. And then I think... What has been great about his interviews is the explanation for um, a lot of what's been happening. Like you mentioned, Michael, about why the CW isn't profitable. Like we've been saying it, but it's been nice that someone from mm -hmm. who's going to be uh, working with CW actually said it, uh, which also means that this gives explanation for the amount of shows that they've been counseling, not just like trying to free up the roster, but also they don't own them. Like that's the, that's what the issue has been. That's why they're not profitable. So they want to get to a point where it's their shows bringing in the money. And that, that makes sense. I mean, so essentially it boils down to this was a business decision and that's just what it's going to be. But I'd rather them say this was a business decision and, and I still get dragged. It's not that they're not going to get dragged for it, but it's nice to, to hear that it was a business decision. Um, I think the interest, one of the interesting things in this IndieWire interview was that he was saying that the streamer gives them an opportunity to compete with Pluto TV, Tubi, and Roku, which is interesting um, because of the because it's free streaming. And the CW's the CW app has not been used in that way. It's generally just been a hub for CW shows with um, licensing of a few things here and there, but they have been beefing it up. So the fact that that was dropped in the interview makes me think that we're going to be seeing a lot more licensed movies and TV shows popping up on the CW app, which considering that they have been adding a lot, they scream queens. There's like the, the updated version of Rosemary's baby, which surprised me. Um, 
Oh, I wish I remember which Florence Pugh movie is on there, but there's a Florence Pugh movie on there. It's like a period piece. Uh, like there's just, and they're not promoting any of it. I should also note that it's, you literally just have to be scrolling through their catalog. But the fact that that stuff is there and that they're most likely going to start promoting the, the streamer even more because it's free has me wondering what this library is going to start looking like. I'm very excited about that because I thought, or I've always thought living outside the US, I've always thought that the streamer itself looked like one of the more exciting things about the network because you don't hear about things doing that an awful lot. And But the downside of that is I never really felt like they made the most of it. Um, could you imagine if maybe they uploaded the episodes of their own shows maybe an hour or two after they aired so that everyone could watch them? Or, you know what I mean? I just feel like sometimes they miss the initial buzz of when people are actually talking about the show and then it's quietly out at the day after. That's just one criticism. I'm not meaning to be critical. I just I just feel like that this was such a great idea. I don't think they've made the most of it yet, but I one thing I will say about this new management is that it seems they seem to be intent on making the most of what they've got and maximizing it. So if they can do that, I think that's an exciting idea because like I said, I think the streamer had so much potential and it could be an exciting new era for it if they, if they acquire a few things that are on it as well. I wonder what's going to come next besides obviously CW originals for that platform. It's an interesting time for the CW, um, though it's also a scary time um, because Brad told IndieWire that he has 14 post-it notes that are blank on his office wall. And those 14 post-it notes um, are reserved for the CW shows that are staying, I believe. Um, And he hasn't made any decisions on them, which is why it was said that everything's on the bubble because they mean that. regardless of like popularity on the internet, not that they don't want to make groundbreaking television, but they also want to make television that's profitable. Not a single show is safe right now. And yes, that includes Superman and Lois, not to present anybody into a panic. It's just, he was very upfront about that when asked by various different outlets, what's safe? And he's like, I don't know yet. Like um, he said he had to like crunch all the numbers, right? He had to look at everything when he started. Mm -hmm. He's going sense. It sucks, but it makes sense. It does, but it's like, we don't have these numbers. So like the only numbers that we have are ratings numbers. And he's talking about profitability. He's talking about revenue. He said- Yeah, we don't have access to that. (laughs) No, he's like, we're not talking about international revenue. We're not talking about streaming revenue that other people make. He's talking about what shows bring in money for the network. And I don't know who does that, like at all. So it's just- interesting to see i mean he did mention also that there are ones that are like very profitable but not profitable for the network so those could go just like and i don't know who i mean i'm thinking about netflix deals right now and i'm just like please be profitable for the network too <laughs> yeah <laughs> and again i think that's go back to the whole thing of the old cw worked at the format that it was the new CW wants a new format. And so even if the shows are profitable in theory, the network wants to make the money. And I think that's the most important thing here. So again, we can't make any informed decisions because we don't know that's not information. It sounded like Brad wasn't up to date on the information yet. And that was one of his first tasks is that he's going to go and look and see what's profitable. I know it's a very scary time for all the shows. I mean, all, we, all we can do right now is just keep the faith I feel like the most successful ones will at least make it through another year, but we'll just have to wait and see what's what successful looks like to the CW. I know. Oh, I'm just, I thought this conversation would make me feel better, but it's not. I was <laughs> feeling so good after reading the Hollywood Reporter one, only because of the transparency. And now I feel 
Um, not shaken. I was shaken prior to this only because there wasn't the, it was just after Star Girl's cancellation, I was like, okay, then what are you looking for? Right. What did the, um, if it's not ratings, what is it? And Brad is like, here's what we're looking for. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, and I'll be, he, so he starts on Monday, November 7th. So that's next week. Oh, it's on the day the pod drops. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, he seems like he's very aware of his position and where the network is in terms of the business and public perception. And I know there's this idea, this like catastrophic apocalyptic um, idea among fans that they will cancel everything and it'll be a completely new network and nothing will be the same and they're going to just like tank it. And I, for the life of me, can't see that ever happening. Will we lose Mm -hmm. more shows by the end of the season? I mean, probably, but I don't think Brad's going to cut ties. This is me hoping and what I foresee um, he's gonna like he's gonna slowly um, try to bridge the gap to like boost this network back up. So I don't think we're gonna I don't think it's gonna be as like uh, doomsday as most people are going for. Which that attitude kind of it stresses me out and irritates me because I'm like I don't I'm like I know things have been bad, but I don't think it's gonna get even worse like to the extreme. Like I don't think everything's gonna be canceled and they're gonna. It's no. just that's bad for business, as I've said before. And I think um, he's aware of that. I yeah. hope. It seems like it. I mean, he's as transparent as he could possibly be. I mean, he even has the same question everyone else does. Why aren't the shows getting the ratings that they you would think that they would be getting? And that's something that he wants to answer, uh, which I'm like, And I don't Great. think to answer that question is to get rid of everything and start fresh. Like, mm-hmm. that's just mm-hmm. not how you do it. You have to you have to lift up the things that you have to keep people coming back. Mm-hmm. This is not going to turn into a WGN America situation. I think that's what everyone's scared of. Cause that's what next star did. Um, and they, it's a, it's now news nation or something. I was like, they didn't buy the CW to scrap it and then create their own. No one's going to watch thing. that. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, but it is not, I guess not worrisome, but they did say that the like a, a name change isn't happening, but the yet was there. And even when Brad answered, he was like, look, we got to get in there and figure out um, what is pulling people in. Like, where is the audience? What is our audience? What what are they interested in? Like, And like step two would be like figuring out if there's a name change or not. And I was like, there's not a name change. <laughs> <laughs> there doesn't need to be a name change. Um, Really, because, I mean, not that people didn't know WGN America, but I wouldn't say that I had the brand that the CW does. Like, people know what the CW is, so why would you change the network name? Um, especially because it's, it's part of, like, the big networks. I mean, yeah, it's, like, their kid sister, but, like, it's, she's out here, um, <laughs> and it just feels weird. I mean, I guess I'll just, everyone will have to adjust if they do change it, but I vote nay. For a name change, not that my vote matters, but if the mole was listening, let them know that it's a no for me. <laughs> Watch us all like panic and they just drop the the. <laughs> <laughs> that yeah, that would be the thing that would happen. You're right. I hope that's actually what happens. <laughs> we'll cope with that one. 
We will. We'll be okay. We can lose the article. Um, but um, Brad wasn't the only new hire. There's also Beth Feldman, who is going to be SVP of Network Communications. Um, just to give some quote, this is a quote. Um, Apparently, she has deep connections to the television entertainment industry and vast experience creating successful promotional and awareness campaigns for a broad array of news, talk, and entertainment programming, which makes her an invaluable resource for the CW. She's innovative and a creative thinker and has well-established relationships with important media outlets across the country and here in Hollywood. And I was like, are you coming in to get promo stuff? Because yes. <laughs> I know. I mean, like we need someone involved with with their uh, hands in that basket. Like if there's one thing the CW could benefit from more, it's promo. It sounds, I, I feel like I'm building up to some sort of big revelation, but I feel like the only people who didn't realize that were the CW. And I think the, the, this network does not have the visibility it used to. It's It's been running on fumes for so long. And while you have big brands like DC, that 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 works, but it only works for so long. So, I mean, like, Yay. I hope we have more promo in the future because th this sounds like a hire I can definitely get behind. I think this is a good thing. Beth, we have ideas if you need anybody <laughs> to consult. <laughs> yes. Yes, we do. I mean, you could go through the previous pods or we can make you an itemized list. I don't know, but we have them. <laughs> <laughs> They're ready. Find us on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Also um, hired is Rebecca Dopp, who's going to be the executive vice president of distribution strategy and affiliate relation, relations. Uh, according to Dana Zimmer, who is the president and chief distribution and strategy officer for Nexstar, uh, Rebecca is a leader and strategic thinker who bring an incredible skill set to the CW because she has both the depth and breadth of experience in the linear broadcast, digital, and streaming world, and will be a formidable presence leading the distribution of the CW network. Um, and I was like, okay. Um, the, especially the streaming angle since Brad had talked about streaming as well. I was like, are we going to see a lot more commercials for the CW app popping up in not just the CW's channel, but other channels as well. Again, that feels like one of the things they haven't maximized on the most. So, you know, if they can get, they get it out there and that a lot of people know about it. I think that'd be a great thing. I think the thing that excites me the most about this one is the distribution part of it. Cause I'm like, International distribution is my thing, and it make and feels like now that this network's so worried about on the night and ratings and stuff like that, that it's not international as a distribution is not going to be their prime primary objective anymore. And I get it not being your primary objective, but I don't want to fall by the wayside because, like I said before, the CW has produced some of the most famous shows in the world. They just didn't know they were on the CW, and I feel like going forward, if they could continue to do that, that'd be a great thing. So I hope I hope this is the beginning of a new chapter for that international distribution part of the network because, again, I like their shows. I like them when they're on TV over here. Like, keep them coming. <laughs> My one concern, though, is the emphasis on localism. Mm -hmm. um, but that was specifically about Nexstar. So perhaps um, that just meant that they really want to make sure things are getting out to the affiliate stations, uh, like all the information needed for what's happening at CW, and that they're not pulling back from international. Pulling back from international would be a mistake, not in this globalized world. Like you need um, the other countries, even if you're not watching on the night, um, especially because like... Um, like the branded DVD cases, wouldn't it be great to say CW right on the front instead of the studios? Oh, I totally feel like that's going to happen. I think I 
mentioned that maybe a few pods back. I can't, mm-hmm. I can't remember, mm-hmm. but I feel like a lot more networks are doing that. Like CBS, especially has, has like CBS original above all of their shows. I think, and I think it would be really cool if it would said like CW original above the logo. I think that'd be so cool. It would be. They should do. Hopefully, that's coming. Um, it also makes me wonder if we're gonna get a logo update soon. Mm-hmm. I don't know how long it's been since they did one. I mean, not that I don't like the one they have now, but they changed. I think hands. we've had it for a long time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. If I remember those SmackDown episodes from 2006, I'm pretty sure it looked the same back then. So I mean, why not get a new one? Just a little oh, makeover. Okay. Yeah. Refresh her a lot up a little bit. <laughs> yeah, that sounds exciting though. That sounds a little fun. Um, maybe they will do that. Um, and perhaps dead the I focus on creating the logo, like a new one, and like move away from the idea of dropping the licensing fee to um a million dollars an episode. Maybe we should like <laughs> like now that caused panic. And at first I was like, I don't understand why because it didn't make sense to me. <laughs> I was like, this is beyond my pay grade. I don't know what this means. <laughs> I think the thing that caused people pan- made people panic the most is some of the articles did, neither did uh, make time to mention this. And it sounds like a jive, but it's just stating the fact that said the CW already has the lowest budgeted shows on television. So how do you make them even cheaper? Um, and I get it. I do get it because television is not cheap and yet some television can look cheap. So where's the fine line there? Um, I believe I read somewhere that the CW shows are budgeted. At, is it the low end of one million? Mm-hmm. Somewhere between there up to two yeah. million. So how do you produce an episode of television for one million or below? You know what I mean? Like, I just wonder where the budget cuts would come from to produce them for less money. Would it be would we see it in a quality shift or God forbid, I hope it doesn't mean that they're just going to make the production day shorter. And that means more work for the cast and crew. That seems like the worst case scenario. Mm -hmm. Like nobody needs to be overworked because no one wants to dish out an extra (laughs) couple million dollars. (laughs) (laughs) And I think again, cost cutting seems to be the priority here. And they said that shows get more expensive as they go on. But if you look at any conversations online, you'll find out that the fans don't think they look more expensive as they go on. Well, I'm sure they allocate the money differently. Probably more money is given to the cast and they try Mm -hmm. to cut costs for production. So like, whereas I'm going to just give Riverdale as an example, I know nothing about how the budget went on the show, but I'm assuming they, when they cast the show, all of the young cast members were newcomers, so they didn't have to pay them that much. Mm-hmm. So they could pay a little bit more to the adults on the show and also the quality of the show. But as we saw those kids get really famous and they're like in every commercial and like every movie and they're killing it, they probably were paid a little bit more. And, you know, there may have been some cutbacks on quality, but that doesn't, I mean, that's par for the course. I think on any show you kind of see where they, on a long running show, you see where they kind of level out and they, they do with what they can. They're not really like reaching for the stars anymore with like extensive shoots and anything. But, um, but yeah, I think you naturally, naturally start to see that on any long running Mm -hmm. show. And I think the fear now is that you, you win a show hits, maybe it's fifth season and it starts to look the same and it could run to season 10 and everything looks the same after season five because it's just less exciting visually because they have a smaller production budget. That doesn't mean the show is cheaper to produce. But I think now the fear is that our show is going to start looking that dull and 
uh, similar right from the off because maybe you know what I mean. Like <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, you can accept it when your show has been on for that long because that's what it looks like. But these shows aren't going to be that appealing if they all start looking cheaper, and it's about getting it right. I know apparently the CW has received pushback internally from that. I thought that that thought process because it's not feasible. And again, that casts doubt on some of their bigger shows like Superman at Lois because it has some of the better CG. It's the best CGI on the CW or Stargirl. And it's probably some of the best CGI you'll see on television, which again is... So- but you don't think the, the green screen in the car, the driving scenes of the Winchesters are like immaculate and perfect? <laughs> <laughs> what I are you saying, say Michael? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm like with my DC streaming quality TV. Um, uh, but no shade to the Winchesters, by the way. It's absolutely it's perfect not. as is. Absolutely not. We love it and accept it for what it is. Just like it's just, I mean, it's just not great, but <laughs> no, it's okay. They said we don't need the budget for that. We don't need it for that. <laughs> We're using it elsewhere. Yeah, they allocated <laughs> it wisely. It's fine. <laughs> but there, there, there is exactly my point. You, you have all these shows that do require money for that, and. Are, are those scenes going to be cut out now or are those shows going to be cut out now? You know what I mean? Like, where does the decision, where do the like, the, where does the dictation of that decision start and end? Is it just about, well, we're going to produce more, less expensive shows and like, okay, but does that mean you're going to stop producing supernatural shows because they're more expensive? Example, we did say when we found out they wanted to produce shows that weren't geared at teenagers and weren't necessarily superhero shows, the two shows in danger were Nancy Drew and Stargirl. And there you go. They're both the next two that were gone and started this new era. Is, is it going to continue like that? I think they're going to need to figure out what they want this cheaper era of TV to look like because the CW already had a reputation for being the cheapest of the five networks. How do you make it cheaper? And if your shows aren't visually appealing to audiences, but more importantly, buyers, how do you plan on making the money back? Or how do you plan on making any money from these uh, cheap shows that you tightened your belt on you know what I mean like it, this could end up backfiring and I think they need they need to f- cut it right down the middle and find out which how do the cons outweigh the pros or vice versa because right now it's a bit of an awkward middle ground and I can see arguments for both but at the end of the day you got to spend money to make money you do I, I do think that means that there's an opportunity for the CW to start doing content that is more limited in nature Mm-hmm. Um, so like shorter seasons, maybe even limited series, um, maybe a discussion about TV movies. Like I don't I think everyone's big fear has been, oh, if they're do if they're capping at a million dollars, that means like the CW is going to be overrun with unscripted content um, that they can make on the cheap and just put out there. And that's not to say unscripted content um, isn't going to be beefed up. It is. But mm-hmm. it was interesting that Brad was like scripted content is not going anywhere. There's just going to be less of it. Um, and he kept mentioning um, being scrappy. And I was like, oh, we're going to get like people who are just starting to cut their teeth in Hollywood. The ones who are willing to like, um, I think it was you read who made an example of being in the, like the closet like, and you're trying to make it look like they're on just on one side. So we're in a really small, small shot. But it looks beautiful once you put it on screen, <laughs> you on screen but you wouldn't know that they were like the door was cracked and they were filming from um, the crack right there. It's only two people close together. Like. But who knows? That might not be the case. But we might start seeing some some practical use of effects rather than CGI. I mean, I will say that has been a problem for a lot of Hollywood. If they can CGI it now, they will instead of just using practical effects. And practical effects 
are actually really beautiful when people know how to do it. And it can look even better than CGI, um, especially if you can't afford the CGI that is going to fool people. Um, so it would just be best to do it practically. I mean, interestingly enough, the Winchester seems to be like low on CGI and visual effects um, and higher on doing practical things, which is giving it a dated look, but it's a dated look that's that's full of nostalgia. So it works for them. So perhaps we'll be seeing more of that. But yeah, I think you're right about less supernatural shows going forward. And I'll cope provided they keep the ones we have at the moment. Like at the end of the day, they helped the CW find its modern audience after teen dramas came out with. So yes, find a new footing and find a new look, but don't alienate what got you to this point. Legends of Tomorrow. Since James Gunn is the um, he's the new head of DC, right? Like that's what they're doing over there at WBD. It's a dumpster fire. I only check in occasionally now. <laughs> um, but do you think that he might pick them up for a little special uh, or two down the road? Look, I would love that because you think of James Gunn, you think of these ragtag. Uh, um, eccentric off the wall superhero team ups we've seen it with Guardians of the Galaxy we've seen it with the Suicide Squad um, so you, you don't get more ragtag off the wall than Legends of Tomorrow I think that would be awesome and like it's not going to happen on the CW because we, we know what's going on with this network it would be cool if James Gunn I'm Peter Safran I believe are now the two co-heads of DC Studios um, I think that decision was met with praise because DC needs a direction and these two can hopefully point it in the right direction. And I just think using HBO Max for little specials and things like that to get other audiences in would be a great idea. And, you know, I want the legend story to wrap up. And we've said before that this show can be revisited in two years, five years, 10 years. This is the kind of show that lends itself to specials. And as the CW tries to moves more into a TV era, which feels like something you would say in 2009 and not 2022. But as the CW moves into a more television era, um, you could look for housing, something like that on HBO Max. And Warner Brothers Discovery needs people excited about it. And I feel like, again, Legends of Tomorrow, James Gunn, ragtag group of superheroes who are getting into crazy adventures every day of the week. I think that would work beautifully on HBO Max. And my goodness, would I love to say it. It would be nice if they did do it. I don't know. We don't have a mole over there. Or perhaps our mole has a friend <laughs> <laughs> to take that over to WBD. Uh, but it would be it would be really nice. And I think, of course, the Legends of Tomorrow fans would be ex- like really excited. I know they won um, a full season. I'm still like a part of the group that says that's not happening. But like a special would be wonderful. Make it happen. Also. Thank you for things making things happen. Um, Gotham Knights, uh, the last piece of this little news <laughs> section, um, which isn't really news, it's more of a request or more of an idea what's about to happen, considering what's happening over at CW. This is just a warning. Do not be surprised if Gotham Knights gets made into a limited series. It's got this a season one run on there and it like and then it bows. Um, it just Wouldn't seems that be like amazing. It would be amazing. <laughs> they could pilot it. That'd be their pilot um, for uh, a limited series. That would be their test thing. How well does a limited series do on the CW? Yeah. It's so it fun. Just, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, you go ahead, Michael. This is okay. your this is your lane. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, it's so funny that we could have what, a limited series from a show that looks so television. Like I could, in another era, I could see this show going on for so long. 
if people respond to it right, that is. But um, I feel like it's just, it looks like a television show from a bygone era that could have lasted two or three seasons. But now, just with everything going on, I'm not sure. We'll say, we'll say. It might tick a few of their boxes as far as like cheap programming goes. No shit. But um, yeah, I think if, to get out in front of it, maybe it would be wise to make it a limited series because we're just with the fan response. You don't know how long the show will last for. And it's just such an uncertain time. I'm not sure the CW, the new CW will make that decision to go forward with the second season. I don't want to speak anything to, in, to existence right now because the other two new shows are performing very well. And I do think the pilot of Gotham Knights will perform well. It's just about maintaining it all. But it would be so cool to try a limited series with something DC related because if it, if it works or if it doesn't, they could always move on to something else DC related and see what that looks like. I think limited series might be the way to go for this network if it wants to stay cheap. I don't want every show to be a limited series, but one or two would be so cool. And I think Gotham Knights might work as a limited series, given all of the questions about it at the moment. Yeah, it just seems like a good option considering everything going on, the uncertainty at the network, um, the reaction to the trailer. I'll leave that thought there. Um, to just like pretend and be like, oh, JK, we planned this as a limited series the whole time. It just feels low commitment mm-hmm. because in this space to ask somebody to trust that this network will foster a television series the confidence is not there the trust is not there so like there's a lot of fans that are like why am i tuning into a new cw show when it very well could be canceled but if you get ahead of that and you're like no it's a limited series more people i think would be willing to tune in week to week um not that i want it to end not that i want this one to be the guinea pig um but I think it's out of the three, even the walk independence would kind of be a serve as a limited series. I don't want that though. Um, I think out of the three, it would be a really good um, option to be like, Hey, we plan this as a limited series tune in just because out of the three, it felt like the one that the, um, the reaction wasn't as positive. <laughs> it, it wasn't. And it hasn't, there hasn't been any positivity coming. Um, it seems to, it died down, but it just didn't get positive. And I think the we'll get some sort of understanding of what the CW sees Gotham Knights doing as we get closer to um, like the release of the mid-season and if there's no promo for this new show. Mm-hmm. Um, imagine, though, the like a really good trailer where it's just like action sequences, they're really hyping it up. And it's like, even if they did like a week-long event of it, you know, like they called it an event or something. And like, it, I feel like they could really make this a buzzy thing and turn around the, um, the, the response so far. I don't know, not to give anybody ideas. Um, if that happens, great. If this ends up being a show that lasts for five seasons, wonderful. Either way, it's, I think they can't go wrong. Yeah, I think so too. I like your idea though about making it an event. Even if they don't do that with Gotham Knights, if they do decide to do a limited series at some point, they should make it a week-long event. I mean, that would be really fun to get into the CW for. But the Gotham Knights, not to not to naysay, like it could right, you could be right. It could go on for five seasons. It's just the I haven't seen positivity about it. I haven't really seen any talking about it. It's not getting the buzz that um, Walker Independence and the Winchesters did. We're getting closer to the end of this year and there's still not really talk about like 
who's going to, unless they're keeping things hush-hush because they don't want anybody to know who's going to be guest starring or who's been cast in anything. And um, besides the uh, initial cast announcements that we got, but we'll just see, we'll see. Um, And hopefully it's good. I hope it's good. Fingers crossed. Yes. Fingers crossed. (laughs) Uh, but we do we do have to talk about ratings though, even though it feels like ratings don't mean anything, even though we know that they do. But it just it's like why are we here? <laughs> <laughs> so in this week's ratings game section, we will um unpack Walker um is king of the castle um right now at eight hundred thousand um from their episode last week. Uh, and the Winchesters still sitting strong, 550,000. And Walker Independence is 520,000, which makes them the top three, um, which seems to be where I, the, those three shows are sort of holding um, at. At Stargirl's 420,000, um, which made her top four, mm-hmm. um, which apparently CW ignored, not to be bitter. That's <laughs> <laughs> sad. I mean, do we want to... Every analysis you have prepared, every like statement I had, like this whole section was based upon how how well shows are performing and whatever. And like here we are again, Stargirl up there with the top four, holding her own with the uh, uh, Winchesters and Walker Independence. I believe I forgot to update it, but I believe actually this week's episode was watched by five hundred thousand. So there she is, literally right on the tails of the show that received tons of promotion, and. Yeah, like, what, what do you say about that? Why did they wait until this week to announce the end of it? I don't know. But um, yes, I, what, what I did want to say was, yes, Stargirl, look at you out here with no promotion, holding your own with the shows that got all the promotion. And it makes the CW look stupid in hindsight for cancelling that. But like, uh, yeah, I'm not going to take that moment away from Stargirl. And I hope the fans don't either. It was an incredible performance this week. Almost its most watched episode of the season. And yeah, I don't even know how can you like put that in context with because any of the other shows that might get renewed bar the other two and the new two new ones and the Walker, they're all getting less viewers than Stargirl, but yet they might survive. Not to shed any of the other shows, they're all doing quite well. But it's just again, what went into the CW's decision? Why why are we even here? I'll throw some shade. Um, Go for so it. Yes, what's please. interesting <laughs> is that the the bottom three shows in viewership are all the acquisitions. Mm-hmm. And I think we've heard that more acquisitions are coming. And if any of the acquisitions, I guess maybe Family Law would be the only one because Professionals is a limited series? Question mark. Well, so it they filmed one season in twenty twenty. Well, twenty twenty is when it came out, and there hasn't been any news on whether or not it will be renewed for a season two. It's been living in limbo. So I think it's probably safe to say that CW is not going to renew it themselves in order. A season two um not okay, to well, say but still yeah but i think if any of those three shows corn or family law professionals do get a renewal i think some fans will be like okay mm-hmm. what 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 <laughs> <laughs> just because they don't perform as highly as even star girl or any of the other originals yeah i think that's right. I mean, Family Law probably will come back just so that they have an acquisition that they can slide into a Sunday slot because I don't think they're going to be putting their own original content on Sundays. Um, so they might just want something there and Coroner may not be back, I think. Isn't there some buzz about like the lead actresses left? Yes, I believe the network does want a fifth season. The original network, not CW, does want a fifth season, but the actress has left. So the show has been in limbo ever since. Speaking of Family Law, I do think there is 
has the second season erred or has it been produced and maybe now sites have been set on a third season so there are plenty of episodes off family law if the cw wants to bring it back but it's performing fine but i don't see how acquisitions like that that they have to spend money on to buy and bring to the network is worth it when i'm sure there's another acquisition out there that might perform better or maybe even original content might perform better i don't know family law is doing better on sunday than riverdale would not to shade riverdale so it's doing its job but i don't know how much longer they wanted to do that job for Mm, true true so i don't know it it is going to be sort of aggravating for fans especially as there are expectations of more cancellations to be looking at the numbers that the acquisitions are getting and then to be looking at the originals and being like So you canceled us and they're not even like the lowest on the network. Um, Though I do think for the originals, it's more so that they're, they're comparing them to where they think they should be in the season, which is a little aggravating because they're not promoting a thing outside of of the network at this point. Cause I think the only, the only interviews I've seen lately have been for like the Winchesters. Um, Mm -hmm. And like with the occasional sprinkling of something for Kung Fu or something for Stargirl and Walker Independence. Um, But other than that, it's, they've really been focusing on their, um, on the Winchesters. But despite lack of promo, um, All-American and All-American Homecoming have continued to bounce back from the dips that they made in episode two, which is really exciting to see. I do think, um, and we've got a bunch of questions on the Twitter about like where we thought the All-American universe was going to be. And it didn't quite help that um, when Deadline talked about the $1 million fee that they had All-American right up in the forefront being like, it's the oldest on the network that's not ending. So it could get um, sunset, which it could. I wouldn't be surprised if it got final season for season six. Um, and I do think if they stay, that All-American Homecoming will likely stay too, regardless of of um their ratings being on the lower end in comparison to um, the other shows, even though they're doing good in the demo. Um, though it's unclear whether or not Nextstar cares about the demo right now. Um, I don't think they do, but it doesn't hurt to be doing well in it. Um, but I, I'm hoping they stick around. And Kung Fu got name dropped at least once um, as far as it being a show that is that has fans over at Nextstar. So mm-hmm. we'll, we'll see. I get the vibe they like Kung Fu and that it, not nothing safe at the moment, but I do get the vibe that it, Walker and Superman at Lois could be three safe shows. But again, no decisions have been made yet. But I do, I get the vibe that Kung Fu is up there with those those two big tent poles. So I would like to see it return, but we'll say. Yeah, I will say if I had to pick a show that's currently airing that is likely staying, I would say it's the Winchesters. Um, it's just been doing fabulously by CW standards. Um, They're crawling their way back to that um, 700,000 number that they had fell from. Um, The ratings for episode four was Mm 600,000, which was like fantastic. I think they're slowly making their way back. And I also think because they, not that they put, the CW has put all their eggs in the Winchester's basket, but they've put a lot of them in there. So I feel Mm -hmm. like they're not going to want to waste the amount of promo that they've done and um and they've kind of sunken into this show out of all the shows the winchester is by far getting the most um attention from the media uh and for the cw to push for them to be getting attention from the media too 
Yeah, and it proves that that one two-week drop was literally only a one-week thing. And we've seen it happen across other shows. And I know people started to panic when it happened. But the Winchesters has not just been clawing its way back. It has fought its way back. And it's very close to um, its episode one numbers. So the fact that, yes, it experienced a drop-off and a quite sharp one is that. But even more impressive is the fact that it's managed to turn it around so quickly. So, yes, um, while Walker Independence has remained consistent in its numbers, and that did see it be higher than the Winchesters for one or two weeks. The fact that the Winchesters have staged this huge comeback so soon into its run does suggest people are watching it and that people are loving it and that, dare I say, more people are starting to tune in. I do um, wish, though, that we did get more delayed ratings numbers. I mean, we, we are aware that the Winchesters, by the time we get to the end of the week, um, is hitting a million. Mm-hmm. Um, once you factor in everything else, I think it's 1.1 million, actually. Um, and I believe Walker Independence is is hitting a million too, um, which is good for the CW. It's, it sounds strange to say that considering when you put them on the list with everybody else, it's a little like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> like, but by CW standards, hit, getting over a million or at least hitting a million is a feat considering it, that's difficult to do for mm-hmm. this network. I need them to add up every number that they can and do a promo that's like 400 million people watched the Winchesters this week. I don't care. Get on the internet and lie. <laughs> I've seen other networks do it. And I'm like, there's no way that show was viewed by 21 million people. I'm, I don't believe it, but I'm happy for you that you're putting that out in the world so that people will be like, oh, I should watch it too. Like <laughs> cyber bully people into watching these shows. Like tell them to get on the bandwagon. Yes. Why? I don't care. <laughs> oh, like that little asterisk they put in is like, these numbers are factored in by delayed views yeah. and that we put the episode up for free on YouTube and this platform and this platform yeah. and this platform. Any number you can put them all together, multiply by two. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do what you thought it do. My goodness. But the, the Winchester is doing what it has to do, especially um, we came off of a really good episode just to hop into what we're watching. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it seems like every episode gets like better and better. And now I do understand why episode four um, is Drake Rogers favorite episode. Um, it is very John centric, so it makes sense. But we also learn a lot um, about Carlos and his time in the military. In case you didn't know, he's a Navy vet. Um, I know. I didn't realize that until they were in the group therapy scene. And first of all, Carlos is hilarious when he put his hand in the air and <laughs> <laughs> he was like, I'll go first. Um, I, I guess I must have missed like a, a line of dialogue or part of his backstory. But I was like, oh, is he is he acting right now? Is he making all this up? But I didn't realize that he was, and it made that so much more impactful that it was true, but he does kind of have a, he's, he doesn't wear um, his feelings about it on his sleeve. Like you can always tell John has some, some pent up trauma that he has not dealt with. Um, But Carlos is, you know, his defense mechanism is a sense of humor and his bravado. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know. I agree. I feel like this episode was such a good one for Carlos. And I know it was an important one for John. And we'll get into that. Oh, I'll like, get into it. <laughs> I can't wait for that. Um, <laughs> but uh, Lata has come to the forefront in the last two episodes by providing uh, the, the backstory or the key to defeating the monster or being right all along. And that was great. Obviously, John and Mary are in the forefront of the story as well. I feel like this was Carlos's time to shine at my goodness, did I? What an incredible episode. And I just... The, 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 I also like that we got to see Carlos and John bond an awful lot as well. Mm-hmm. Just... 
I don't know how to put it into words. I just, I was really taken by their bond and by Carlos in this episode. Incredible, incredible. It was like peeling back of the layers Mm -hmm. uh, because, I mean, I think John, like the rest of the audience, if we're being honest, was like surprised when um, Lada and and Mary realized he didn't know that Carlos had served. Uh, It didn't seem like that would be your crowd, but like, um, what is that? What does that crowd look like? I mean, I know that John gives very much soldier boy, like he just mm-hmm. does. Um, but it is interesting to see two different sides of um, the coin of being a, a someone who served. Right? You have John who volunteered with his whole heart, like he had. Um, he's very um, a man of his country and wanting to fight for it. And then you have Carlos, who was like, "Look, I got wrapped up in a bad situation and I had a choice: either I went to jail." or I went to the military, I chose the military. Um, and like, that's a decision. So it's just interesting to see someone who was only given um, two choices and he made the best decision that he could versus John who threw himself into a war zone, not quite understanding the ramifications of that um, and how the two of them are navigating this, um, the world post being um, in a very intense and traumatic uh, situation and John's not doing well. Not that Carlos necessarily was either, but Carlos is more willing to receive help than John. John's like, I'm gonna shoulder it on my own. And it's like, yeah, he's not, not shouldering it. He's not. And it's it's it was sad actually seeing him struggle with all of that anger that has nowhere to go but out violently. The writing this episode I thought was so beautiful because it for a show that's so larger than life and has all these monsters and supernatural things. Um, to see it be so heartfelt and honest and bare, especially when it comes to John and seeing the the disparity between his experience and Carlos's and how they, what they do with that trauma, where they put it. Um, Carlos is very much like, this is helping me talking about it. You should join me. And John's like, no, he's just not there yet. I had a theory that maybe and I guess it, it could still stand that Mary will be the one that he opens up to and will help him realize um, he should talk to somebody. Cause I don't think Mary needs to be the one that helps him through all that. That's not a healthy foundation to begin your begin a relationship. Um, but just to see the work that Drake put into the story, I thought was so powerful, especially to fast forward a little bit when he's fighting the, the what is he called the he was a Mars NATO yeah him mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> when he's fighting him in that like the like dreamscape jungle thing um after he defeats him to put it lightly he continues to hit him and the look on Drake's face goes from like you could see like John was having he enjoyed that mm-hmm. releasing his anger he almost had fun doing that. You can see the slight like grin on his face. And as the the dream world, I don't know what to call it, as that fades away and it's just him and Carlos standing in that empty room, Drake subtly dropped that grin as like the real realization dawned on John that that wasn't, I shouldn't have enjoyed that. That was, I pushed, I, I went over the line a little bit. And it's just such a subtle, uh, subtle work that Drake did. And I, I was blown away by that scene because I wasn't expecting that much, like, I don't know, maybe I wasn't expecting that much depth out of this particular um, 
story, but they really went there. And I think Mm -hmm. this episode will help a lot of people sort through their own emotional journeys. Yeah, because they had different styles of doing that. Um, And meeting people where they are. What's great about the scene that you mentioned, Reed, is like right after John does all that, there's there's a lot of vulnerability between him and Carlos and they're just staring at each other because John knew he took it too far mm-hmm. and Carlos knew he took it too far to the point where Carlos who's rarely shaken was shaken by what happened but Carlos also gives him the room to be at that spot in his trauma and it's just simply says if you need to talk I'm here and I love that moment because there wasn't any there wasn't any judgment like he like it wasn't a good moment that was not a great moment for John but it didn't necessarily change. It changed how Carlos saw him, but not like in a way that made him scare of him, more of scared of what could happen to John if he doesn't open up. Yeah, more of like, oh, I didn't know you were holding all that in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, that's not great. And I think that's why it worked so well with their bond in particular, because it's it's been interesting that John's come into this like world of hunters and he's still trying to learn himself. And every episode you can see he has some kind of new diet, but he's always quite like playful about it. And then he, he has faith he can overcome it. Whereas Carlos is this like esteemed like veteran hunter who like almost you wouldn't think lets things phase him. So the, the fact that both Carlos was willing to open up uh, in the therapy sessions and talk about all that he went through paired with the fact that he was genuinely shaken by what he saw John go through and what he saw John become in that moment. I think it was a, it was a heavy moment for John, but again, I think it was just such an important character moment for Carlos as well, because we got to learn so much about the two of them and that yes, they're inherently different, but they also have some similarities and they bond over their similarities, but you got to see how they, how they adapted to this situation and how they dealt with their trauma differently. Whereas Car- I, I like the fact that this was very much an episode of the week, but it did have an awful lot of emotional gravity that will carry forward into the rest of the season. I'm not sure we'll see Carlos's group therapy sessions again, but the fact that they took a moment in the final few minutes of the episode to show that it meant so much to him that he started going back to them and that he stuck around and clearly it was helping him. I thought that was very moving as well, particularly because John's obviously stuck and he doesn't know how to uh, how to open up about his trauma. And of course, the, the final scene with him and his mom was just uh, so powerful, so powerful. I actually kind of liked, because uh, by the end of the episode, I was kind of like, okay, how are they going to land this? Where are they going with this? In my mind, I was like, oh, they could just, John's ready to, you know, go to therapy and mm-hmm. and talk about it. But I, I kind of like that he didn't go to that place quickly. It's going to be a, a, a longer journey. He's going to cry in the bathtub with his mom, which sometimes you need to do. And and like, look, recovery is not a straight line. So, and I like that they're portraying that. Like, he's not going to be like, I'm here. I could see where I need to be, but I can't do that yet. So he has to go other places. And I like mm-hmm. that he's not it just makes the character more interesting and relatable that he's um, going to find his way slowly, but surely. And there are different ways to cope. Then not all of them are healthy, but there are different ways to cope. And I think that this episode pointed that out very well for Carlos's therapy for John. um, He's not there yet for a coping mechanism. I think right now we're just still burying things until they explode, but even Mary and Lada had, 
their way of coping that they discovered through Maggie's room. That um, sequence about realizing that the way Maggie continued to carry light with her came from the postcards and the two bad, was it two bad things and one good thing that she would write on it so that she could obviously still um, be aware of, of some of the darkness or some of the bad things that she went through, but also to be able to have a, not a silver lining, but uh, this one bright spot uh, to be able to focus on and that the girls adopted that themselves at the end of the episode while giving Mary space to be able to move a little bit further into her grief. I thought was beautiful. This episode does a lot in 45 minutes. Um, and it tells you so much about the different characters and where they are in their headspaces. And um, John's not in a great place, like in contrast to everybody else. He's just really not in a good place. And the rest of them are getting to better places. And I do wonder how that is going to play out as we move further into the season. Just on a lighter note, movie theater guy popped back up. He did. He got a name. But I'm not, Mary used him. Mm-hmm. I don't think she's, do we think she's going to pursue that any further? Or she is he just like a means to an end? He got her, he got his dime back and she got her info. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> Michael, you go first. Cause I'm still thinking about it. I'm confused. Usually when they have one of those like teasers at the end, it builds up something that isn't just episodic, unless it's like tied to the monster or the villain, whatever it can set up the next episode. But this was, this is very much geared as Mary's like storyline moment as she's letting go. He pops up at the right place at the right time. Big John at Mary Shepper here. That's the direction I want the show to go in. That's the direction I know the show will go in. But I, as, as a creative person, I would be slightly disappointed if all this person turned out to be was a plot device, if that makes sense. Um, I hope he serves, has more purpose than that. Yes, he, he was a good plot device because it sounds like he's not just a reporter looking for the next big story. He wants to break the truth. And that's a good thing. But there has to be more to it than that, right? It, it's very strange. Like we, we got the Bridget Regan tease in the end of last episode and that's obviously set up for villain for the season. So it, was this just to set up this guy to be a plot device for this one episode? Like surely there's see, more I'm, to it than that. See, I'm saying, I was like, oh, I thought this was going to be a thing. And then she was just like lying to him. To get some info. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know though. So like the way that everything is framed, it seems like he will be important um, even if he's not important initially. Uh, and I say that because there really was no reason for us to have a spotlight on the card that said Kyle Reed. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, that you're right. She, she could have just said Kyle, I, uh, <laughs> like when she heard his name or something, and gone to go see him. So, like, they generally don't do not do that if you're just there to tie up a loose plot device, you know, a plot point, and then move forward. So, I think he's coming back. He was, but because she used him and was fine with using him. Um, I'm like, ooh, I mean, I already knew y'all weren't going to last, but this just feels like it's going to blow up in Mary's face at some point, or he's going to be put into danger and she's going to realize she can't really be with anybody right now. I don't know. But in either case, um, it did also give us a cute moment with Lata and her where Lata was like, oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) She was giving, she was giving best vibes. (laughs) (laughs) I thought that was rather that was rather cute. Actually, I love that the ladies teamed up um, mm. in this episode. I love seeing Millie along for the ride. Um, one of my favorite things that they've done so far is that uh, all of John's like friends get a little moment with Millie. Like they just pop up and they get an introduction. 
and Carlos is walking his uniform um, to, I don't, to like, what was it, a guitar riff as they yeah. both watched <laughs> him come up. I was like, that's adorable. I love that's his first meeting with Millie. And she likes him. It was great. I think, well, she was rude to Ada, but that she, I think she thought she was messing with, with Henry and that was why she was yeah. rude. But, um, but when she meets the kids, every time she's met one of the kids, I've always enjoyed it. I love her when they were in the scene with the vase and Lato was like, oh my gosh, this is beautiful. And then we just smacked it out of her hands. She's like, okay, how do we know if it works? <laughs> She's great. Bianca's delivery there was amazing. And which is why I'm also happy that she had mentioned in, in the interview I did with her that this will not be the last time we see Millie with the Scooby gang. Um, she will be clashing with her son over it though. Uh, Cause I guess he's like, mom, it's my group. Why are you here? Um, but it's also because she loves him so much and she wants to protect him. And that's basically what she's done. Also, he's reckless and just runs into danger. No plan. <laughs> so, like, and so she knows that. Oh, she had a line about that. I, f- I forget like what to paraphrase. It was just that if he sees something, like if he sees danger, he's going to redhead- run headfirst mm-hmm. into it. And that's just who he is as a person. And I love how she just explained that to Mary and Lata. Like that's a problem, especially where he is with his PTSD. Yeah, it highlighted she knew him better than anyone, which uh, I think maybe was why important why it was important that she consoled him in the end. But I just I do I love seeing her get to team up with everyone every week because the tent in those shows they tend to keep the parents away from the mm-hmm. kids' storylines, and I hope we get to see more of her as part of the the gang because I love her no nonsense approach. She was so good. More Millie, and we're getting more Millie. That's also her fighting with like, I'm assuming monsters, so that's going to be fun seeing Bianca do stunts um is there anything else about the oh just one more sequence the fight sequence was really good between um mary and john it uh, like established a great sort of rapport between the two of them and i love how mary could reach the um clearly you need the actual fights let me just throw this thing down and let's get to it (laughs) (laughs) it's a great moment between the two and it also set up the episode well because you knew he had some pent-up stuff that he needed to get out and I don't really know if the episode accomplished that, but I just, I thought it was such, it was looking back now, it was such a clever scene between the two. A lot, I think, clicked for Mary. She had that experience. And then when Millie was like, he runs straight into danger, she was like, oh, yeah, that tracks. You're right. Mm-hmm. That could be an issue. <laughs> <laughs> so now we're keeping an eye on John, which is a good thing you keep an eye on John. Yes. Uh, moving on to Blue Valley. Michael, I caught some of the live tweet. There were twists. Oh, yes. I am not okay after that episode and not just because the show was canceled. It's so strange watching it because so many people now believe this was the best episode of the season. I might be one of them. And yes, where it even began, Courtney and Pat returned from uh, the Helix Institute that they were in last week. And Courtney found out that Yolanda was staying in her house after her parents kicked them out. And there was this beautiful scene right off the bat where uh, they saw each other in the house. And Courtney was like, Yolanda. And Yolanda was like, Courtney. And the two of them ran and had this like really emotional hug. And uh, so Courtney apologized for not telling the JSA everything and said she's always here for Yolanda. I think that scene was really important because it set up that Courtney was now being honest and she'd learned from keeping secrets, but she also wanted the JSA's approval because she was finally going to tell Cameron everything about his father, about the JSA, all of it. And we didn't get to see it happen on screen, but we learned that later that Yolanda did give her approval, but that was not the obstacle because Courtney had to go to Rick and Beth and ask them for their approval. In the end, 
Rick said he will support her because he loves the JSA and they're his family, but don't say I didn't warn you because Rick hates Cameron. They hate each other. Um, so he wasn't happy about that. Meanwhile, as all of this is happening, you remember Cameron's creepy grandparents? They also have the ice powers and they have try- they're trying to indoctrinate him into the life that his father led as well. It's more the grandmother. She is quite psycho whereas the grandfather's starting to pull back a little bit and you because they talk to each other in different language we see in the subtitles how far she's willing to go and then the grandfather's like chill out chill out love and calm down um but cameron's art teacher paid a visit to his house it was like cameron quit art class grandmother loved this because grandmother does not want him having any other passions other than the mission the grandf- let him draw grandma exactly <laughs> the grandfather was a little concerned but um she saw he had drawn a picture of courtney and was like nope he can't be doing this he has his goal has to be towards the mission and she's good at it he's excellent he's a real okay. artist um and she threw okay. it in the bin <laughs> <Just checking. laughs> she threw the picture in the bin and we turned out later that the picture was a picture of courtney and as it lay in the bin it started to freeze over because the grandmother had obviously frozen it um, and again, the grandmother knows all about Courtney and the JSA. But Cameron's art teacher, Mr. Dysinger, showed up. And just for a bit of uh, I Know Your Face, he play, He was played by the actor who also played Mr. Clark in Stranger Things, um, the boy's teacher. Um, uh, so uh, he, he, he's good with teacher roles. Um, but as soon as he turned up to their house, the grandmother was like, how dare you it's good that you've no idea what we've been through and he's like i'm just concerned for cameron and again the grandparents started arguing in different language so the teacher was just sitting there like watching the two of them argue having with no clue what they were saying and uh the grandfather was like lily calm down he's oh he only cares about our our grandson and she was like i can't i can't i've had enough of this and she literally turned around and shot an icicle right into the uh, the teacher and he just he died that (gasps) karma That poor man wow. went through hell with Eclipso last season and Courtney saved him. And now it was all for nothing because he died this season. Oh, my God. Um, and then you get this really cold shot later when Courtney goes over to the McCant household and goes in through the door. And it, as Cameron lets her in, it pans across to the bin. And in the bin, you see Mr. Dysinger's walking stick. So the, the grandparents have like they've taken real care of this. Clearly, they know how to get rid of a body. Um, so as all this was happening, uh, Rick and Beth decided to track where the, the cameras that were watching everyone, they, they decided to track where the it was coming from. But the problem was it was bouncing all over different locations. They found out that there was one in a bunker in Utah, so they sent Starman to look at it. Clever excuse not to have Joel McHale in this episode because obviously he wasn't contracted for every episode of the season. Um, so he was off looking in Utah, but it was a dead end. Meanwhile, um, Rick and Beth were looking at different locations in town. And just as Courtney had went to the McCant household, they found out that apparently one of the sources off the feeds was coming from the McCant household. Now, Rick, who's having a hard time with the hourglass and experiencing what we think is going to be addiction problems with the hourglass, he got really angry. Uh, about this and was like see I told them Courtney was wrong she should have trusted us all along so he's gone off the deep end meanwhile Courtney goes to Cameron's house says we need to talk and when she tells them his father was not who he thought he was the grandma comes barging how dare you and then uh, uh, but so she tries to like uh, freeze Courtney and the grandfather's like Lily calm down again and uh, Cameron's like you know, all in the middle of this, like, what? What's happening? Because he has no clue what's going on. And just as this happens, Rick bursts through the back wall in his Iron Man outfit. It was like, I warned you. 
Um, and then the, the grandmother stand, stands up and was like, Cameron, they killed your father. Um, oh, so no. it, it all went to hell. And uh, Cameron then started like using his ice powers towards Wreck. And Courtney was like, Cameron, stop. That's Wreck. And then he was like, Wreck. And Cameron hits Wreck. So the two of them started fighting in the living room. And uh, the grandfather tried to get the grandmother out of the room because she was making things a hell of a lot worse. But then the grandmother ran into Yolanda, Wildcat, in the hallway. And before they could even have a conversation, grandma was out there shooting icicles in the hallway. Um, uh, so uh, Wildcat was bouncing around the hallway trying to get away from it. Meanwhile, Beth, who cannot fight, they told they left her in the garden because she's the like brains of the operation. They were like, you're not a fighter, stay out of this. Um, but she didn't want to do that. So she ran in. And just as she ran in, her father told her that they'd unlocked part of the, the Dr. Midnight costume that she was wearing and that it actually has a combat mode. So she wasn't using it to its full perfection. And then, of course, she ran into the grandfather in the hallway and the two of them started fighting, which I didn't really get because grandfather was like, trying to cool things down, not literally with his ice powers. He, was he wanted trying, to scrap them. He, uh, yeah, but he did. And then the two of them, <laughs> Beth, who could not fight, was sitting having a, a fight with the grandfather in the hallway. But thankfully, the Dr. Midnight goggles started saying, dodge, punch, right hook, left hook. So she start, was able to fight with the grandfather in the hallway. But he did get the better offer, right as things were about to go bad. Artemis Croc, who is... Remember um, um, Sportsmaster and Tigress or Lawrence and Paula, the Crocs, who are, are trying to be better. They both had a special moment in the episode. Lawrence had a special moment with Pat and Paula had a special moment with Barbara. And I think that clearly highlighted they've come so far. They're no longer enemies. And because that those moments happened earlier in the episode, their child Artemis, who was being trained by the ISA, jumped in to help defend the, the JSA in this situation. So the Crocs are no longer a threat. And she came in, it was like, back off grandpa and started battering him with her uh, baseball bat. Um, and so he backed off and they, she helped Beth get up. Um, so the JSA now has a new member. I have to say, I've said before, Stargirl's fight sequences are beautiful and we got to see a fight in a hallway. We got to see a fight in a living room. We got to see a fight in another hallway. Got to say, the camera work, the choreography, exquisite and it all built up to the final moment grandpa was walking around the hallway holding his arm because artemis had hit him with the baseball bat in his arm so he could only shoot out his icicles with one with one hand but um my goodness was grandma was holding her own against wildcat she literally nearly killed yolanda with with ease but uh, the main event was of course rick versus cameron in the living room and uh because rick's powers were making him so like blinded by rage Courtney was grabbing him saying Rick stop it and she didn't have her staff so she was like Rick stop it and uh, Rick actually shoved Courtney off and hit her against the wall and she I think she hit her head then um, because it was blood eye after that and this sent Cameron into a huge rage because he cares a great deal about Courtney so the two of them really really fought but in the end Cameron won out shockingly Cameron won out because he's not a fighter but um, he destroyed Rick, sent him into like the staircase in the room and like Rick was lying there in a bloody mess in front of it. And that was the moment that grandma announced that they killed your father. And Courtney was like, Cameron, don't do it. So she, she was like, Cameron, finish the job. And Cameron got his icicle ready to shoot through Rick. And then grandpa came in. It was like, Cameron, we need to stop the cycle of violence. You have to stop this. So he did. But right as this was happening, it turns out that the pain in grandpa's arm was not because he got hit by a baseball bat. He started having a heart attack right in the living room. And 
in a huge pivotal moment, Beth realized that her Dr. Midnight outfit also had defibrillators in the gloves. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mean to laugh, but like, of course, <laughs> of course. Um, but it, it sounds ridiculous, but the most important part of it was that the JSA were able to save Grandpa Isagal. She used them. It worked. And even Grandma, who was in a fit of rage, was sitting there holding Cameron's hand and they were all worried about Grandpa. And um, it worked. They saved Grandpa. The fighting had stopped. So I don't know where we go from here, but every relationship on the show is in shambles right now. Um, We don't know what is going to happen next. And it, it very much ended with this like, look between Cameron and Courtney as the two of them just looked at each other and Rick was still sitting there in the staircase like Courtney I'm, <laughs> Courtney, I'm sorry um, uh, so right now the JSA is in shambles but also we don't know where the relationship between Courtney and Cameron stands we do know that Cameron still doesn't know the whole truth and in the promo for next week he is like Courtney who killed my father and so it looks like he may not be going down the villain route, but it definitely looks like he wants revenge on whoever killed his father. And that's going to be awkward because, of course, we know the answer was Courtney's little brother, Mike, because in season one, he drove his car right through Icicle when he when he, Icicle turned into his ice sculpture ship. Uh, Mike drove the car right through it and shattered him into thousands of pieces. So... How's, how is this conflict going to pan out? And speaking of Mike, the official ending of the episode, so him and his best friend, Shaquem, decided that instead of getting the glory for figuring out who killed the gambler, they were instead going to do the right thing and find Cindy because Cindy needed help. Um, everyone's turned their back on Cindy and they won't, they won't do the same thing. They need to help Cindy. And they figured they, they broke into her locker. They used the, the, the Thunderbolt pen, which can grant the specific wish. You have to be very specific about it. And they were specific about it. It opened her locker and they, they broke, they broke into it and they found a list of uh, locations for all of Dragon King's labs. And they knew about that because Starman had also been to them. However, there was one that wasn't stroked off the list. So they're like, clearly Cindy is in this location. And they went there in the, the closing moments of the episode. It was a farm. It was so dark and they had to use the Thunderbolt pen to illuminate uh, the environment. And when they got there, they were like, looks like nobody's home, but the house pans down and you can see a body in the house. And uh, so they went out to the farmhouse and when they made it in there, they were like, there's nothing here. There's no Cindy. What, why are we doing this for a girl who's about to turn into a crocodile? There, there, there's no one here. Why are we doing this? And then they heard a noise and they turned around and they were confronted by this gigantic humanoid ape um, that roared in their faces. And they all screamed. The Thunderbolt pen screamed as well. And they got out of there. And then the ape said something like, everyone must die. Oh my God. And that was the end of the episode. Intense. So it was a huge, a huge, huge, huge episode. But I believe, according to my knowledge and what fans are deducing, everyone thinks the creature is the ultra-humanite, which fun bit of information was actually the very first DC comic supervillain created in 1939. He's an adversary of Superman, and he's an incredibly, incredibly smart ep. Um, and I know in the comics and the animated shows, he's had a rivalry with Gorilla Grodd, who uh, obviously appeared on The Flash. Um, who is a similar, a really smart app, but this guy is white, um, a white app, and he literally, by the looks of things, might have been who killed 
the gambler. We don't know yet, but we do know that Starman was assaulted by something that is giant and uh, monstrous. And we know that the gambler was assaulted by something that is giant and monstrous. The only thing I will say is that this creature seemed to have, from what we know so far, has been set on people and set on things by someone who was watching them on the cameras. So I do think there is a greater mastermind at play here. But we have found out we find have found out who the henchman, so to speak, is that has been doing at the actual killing. So, yes, uh, that was a big shock. We did not. We had all these like theories for who it would be. We did not expect it to be the ultra humanite of all people. And um, I'm excited to see where it goes next. I do feel like Cindy will come back into play because they did not find her, and that's the big. Uh, that, that was the big hook on the episode. But also, I do, we'll find out how the Cameron story plays into it. I feel like I did just describe the episode there in great detail, and it still feels like there's so much to describe. I'm not getting into it now, but I just, I'm so excited to see where it goes. And it was so hard to watch such a good episode, knowing that the show was going to end now. That it, 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 I've never watched Darker like that before. It was such a unique kind of position to be in. Um, but I do have faith there is still about five more episodes left and I do have faith that they will wrap it up well. It's just a shame that they have to wrap it up at all because this season is shaping up to be the best yet and I cannot wait to see where it goes with the potential ultra humanite with Cindy and perhaps most of all with Cameron and Courtney dynamic. Yeah, what an episode. One pro- Probably my favourite of the season so far. It sounded amazing and it intense. Was. And unexpected. And unexpected, <laughs> right? Full twists. And a battle sequence through your description was like stellar and sounds like one of the best things that they've done. Not that the CW doesn't have great fight sequences, but like uh, that sounded amazing. Yeah, it really was. And I think that's the thing. The show had that when it was a DC Universe show and people were worried when it went to CW that it would lose that quality. It never did. It still feels like a streaming show. It doesn't really work on network TV, but it does. Um, and it's just, just, it's such a high quality show. And even this late in the game continues to produce incredibly high quality episodes. And I know that's going to make me miss it more when it goes. True. CW has made another mistake. Yes. Um, and they're prepared to make more, but we'll, we'll see. <laughs> um, so as far as like Walker independence, moving from superheroes to Westerns, uh, this episode was fun. I said that hesitantly. I only said that hesitantly because I didn't know if that was the word I wanted to use to describe it. Um, because a lot happened. It was like, is it weird to say it was kind of joyous, even though it was mm-hmm. very like duplicitous in nature for some of the characters? <laughs> Yeah, the energy was a little different. I think this is the first episode not directed by Larry Tang. So maybe that had something to do with it. But the writing was felt a little bit more punchy. This episode to me felt the most like CW mm-hmm. than any of the previous episodes, which I both loved and was like, ooh, I wonder if this is the new the new tone. I don't know how much it'll fit with each episode. But I loved all of the new dynamics and the new like the lighter moments that were in this episode like everything that happened between abby and hoyt <laughs> and their little road trip and lakeside uh swim session mm-hmm. it was there was a lot going on there was uh, a lot <laughs> sorry <laughs> they very they paired everybody up which was which was nice um and with pairs that like are expected but also that we haven't spend that much time exploring their relationship dynamics. Um, and we got a new character, Teresa. Mm-hmm. It definitely did the most as far as 
may be in an ensemble show goes. We got new characters, but we also learned more about the old characters. And I feel like we can't talk about dynamics and groupings and everything without getting into the big cliffhanger from the episode before, which was mm-hmm. we now have Kit yeah. as part of the gang. Yeah. And that was very like get the band together. It was, I agree, it, it felt it was a familiar kind of approach to like bringing the dynamics together. But I am very thankful they didn't go with the thing that we were fearful of. And it was that they'd come up with an excuse to, oh, I have a gun in my uh, uh, cupboard because it's a dangerous place in independence. They, they, they went with it. They finally changed the dynamic. I will say the only thing I'm slightly disappointed with is that a lot of the explanation took, off of, uh, took place off screen when mm-hmm. uh, Abby was like, and then we'll let you meet with the rest of them. And Kate turns around and goes, "We." And then it just cuts, and she's with the re- with the gang already established part of the part of the dynamic. I feel like, considering we know Kate's such an important character with important ties outside of Independence, it would have been a little cool if we had gotten to see them all like connect for the first time. But I mean, the scene did what it was supposed to do. Um, I, I love the fact that Kate had absolutely no problem throwing shade at Hoyt multiple times throughout that uh, conversation. And then she was like, nobody get arrested. And then everybody just looks at Hoyt and he's like, why are y'all looking at me? <laughs> <laughs> the dynamics were golden. And I, again, that was just kind of the first part of the episode because everybody went off in their own directions. But I love our little like quartet of heroes here and I can't wait to see how it goes. It seems like um, Kate got more out of that conversation with Abby than Abby might have gotten um, in terms of an explanation for things. Because as soon as soon as Abby heard that she was a Pinkerton agent, she was a, singing like a bird. Like she told Kate everything she held nothing back. And Hoyt was just like, uh, excuse you, <laughs> why my business too? Um, but it is it is interesting to see Kate amongst this group and uh how kind of resigned she was to how much she was going to have to lean into it. She's like, no, I'm the agent. Like, we're going to do things my way. And then things didn't pan out the way that she thought they would. And so it's like, okay, I guess this is a group effort. Circle around the table, we're going to have a discussion. Yeah. So that was wonderful. There was also, um, the stakes seemed to be not necessarily higher, but different than I had once thought. It was interesting. We got some insight into, um, Tom as well. I did not expect him to have been a feral child in an asylum. Mm. Uh, that was a revelation. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that in- dynamic he had with Teresa was one of the more interesting parts of the episode because I didn't really know what kind of dynamic it was. She was quite, um, I don't want to say mean, but she, he did what he was told when she was around. And there's such a, is she the one pulling the strings all along? I feel like it was it was a very important episode as far as Tom goes. A lot of the rest of it felt somewhat episodic, but this felt like it will definitely benefit the greater story going forward. Because yes, he is definitely the villain of the piece, but there is a lot of things that maybe turned him into the villain of the piece. And I feel like we learn more about him as it goes on. There are a lot of developments with him because he, we see his like dynamic with this new character, his family member. And then we see how he flips the script and buys Hagen's mm-hmm. he <laughs> under duress Hagen is like I'm yeah I'm out of here um and then Kate's whole diss track which was incredible yeah. queen pop of independence <laughs> <laughs> yes. um but then he helps Kai and I was like okay thank you for helping Kai out of that jam that was a sticky situation but then he un like unwillingly Kai now has made a deal with the devil. Like he owes mm-hmm. Tom 
a favor, which he's definitely going to cash in on. And it's definitely not going to be something Kai wants to do. But I think Kai too, learning more about him and what, where he came from, what he's done, what he's been hiding was another revelation that I was like, huh, I thought you were just a kind little guy just making food. (laughs) (laughs) But apparently we've killed somebody or multiple somebodies. Um, It's interesting was, I don't remember the name of the the family that he apparently has upset. Uh, uh, But I was like, oh, why does this sound like a, a gang family? Why does it sound like you could not go back to that town ever again? And that he was willing to kill that man mm-hmm. after he um, his exploitation um, being exploited like that. And then that man trying to come back and exploit him again. Um, and so the way that Tom walks in uh, and that, how that scene wraps up, I'm like, I too was grateful. But at the end, I was like, dang, now Kai's isolated from everybody else. He's the lone member besides Gus of this team. So Tom has Gus and Kai. And Abby has everybody else. And no one is, Tom might be aware of what Abby's up to, unclear. But the um, they're playing a very dangerous game. And Abby's group is sort of endeared to her. And Tom's group is there by um, obligation. <laughs> it's no <laughs> friends for Tom. <laughs> I feel like that could be the most intriguing scene or like dynamic going forward because we didn't we learn it was in episode two that uh, our heroes that's what i'll call them who there are now four of them kind of set up a base of operations in kai's place they were kind of like mm-hmm. uh, uh talking strategies what they're going to do next there and now we know kai as reed said has made a deal with the devil what will that deal look like? Will he be his man on the inside? Will he ask him to, to, to find out more for him? Will Kai come across this information? Because Kai very much should be part, because we saw how quickly Kate, uh, Kate became part of the heroes. I feel like Kai should very much be part of that group as well, especially since he's basically renting out his place for them to be their bat cave, so to speak. So how will it, how will that play into it going forward? Will Kai learn something he shouldn't have? Will they say, yeah, you're part of our team and then find out he's not? I feel like Kai's a good person that will do the thing in the, the right thing in the long run, but it, I think it's going to be a very interesting journey watching him get there. He'll probably be a double agent mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and take information back to probably Kate. I think he likes Kate the most. <laughs> he does. He got two cheek kisses this episode and he was very happy about it. They're adorable. I like them. Um, I don't think, I mean, push comes to shove, he is going to choose Kate, but mm-hmm. I do wonder how long it's going to take before the group realizes something's not quite right with Kai, unless he just starts saying something come in the following episode <laughs> <laughs> and explains he's been blackmailed by Tom, um, which seems to be the name of the game for Tom. Um, there were, I do like though that as sad as Kate's scene with Hagen was, I like the dichotomy of like, their conversation where she thinks that he's a coward um, and that he's simply running. And actually he loves you so much and wants to protect you that he gave up Hagen, like his own business to make sure that you didn't die. Or um, I don't think he knows she's a federal agent, but clearly he, um, he feels a lot for her. And I was like, Oh, I'm sorry. Your secret dad is leaving and now you're mad at him and he won't know. Um, like You don't know what he did for you. But that hat sequence, when she puts it on and stands in front of the mirror and her anger kind of falls away as she looks at herself in, in the mirror. I, Great. It was wonderful. 
Mm-hmm. I love that dynamic because he very much uh, struck struck you as a rich, powerful businessman. And in the end, that's what she thought he was. And he was just moving on to the next part of his life as a rich person. But we we learned so much in this episode that there was so much more to him than that because he has had that kind of playful dynamic with Kate and that like, is, are you just like humoring her because she's done so good? No, but he actually genuinely does care about her and he clearly doesn't know how well she can look after herself because he doesn't know the whole story. But again, the, the secrets played into that beautifully, but also just the fact that we got to learn more about Hagen as well. I assume that's the last we'll see of him, at least for now. I hope they get the chance to patch up their uh, relationship at some point. But yeah, oh, that scene, it just it worked wonders as far as character goes for both of them. So because you saw how much she cared about the people and he did too, but he felt he was forced into that position. Such a such a powerful scene for, again, an episode that also has some episodic qualities about it. I felt like that was that's the scene that will stay with me. Uh, last thoughts. Great episode. Mm-hmm. Great episode as well. Loved Kate, the vocals, the Charleston movements, the song, the performance, <laughs> everything. What a moment. <laughs> yes. Stay in that moment of the episode. And we have some new romantic dynamics too. Um, though Callian and, um, oh, no, Lucia. Uh, Callie and Lucia's dynamic mm-hmm. was interesting. They're very soft. I like them. They're probably not going to become anything because she's very much into Hoyt, but I like their relationship. Mm-hmm. And Hoyt is trying to run away from the feelings that spark him between him and Abby, which is interesting. Um, but their lake scene, lake, pond, whatever that was. I was like, hmm, uh, Abby is steadily moving out of grief <laughs> <laughs> and noticing the man around her. So, okay. She's like, YOLO. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, and then to end our, what we're watching section, Nancy. Nancy had some revelations, though um, this is the point in where I come clean about something. Uh, because I knew about this revelation. Oh. So did I. <laughs> <laughs> I. I was aware of something, but I didn't know it was this. I did not know this was coming. I remember when we watched the Tom Swift episode, there was something I was retroactively looking back and I was like, wait a minute, that doesn't make sense. Now it makes sense. But um, no, I did not see this revelation coming. Am I, am I wrong in saying I was not ready for it, even though Reed tried to prepare us for it with his message by saying, you guys, this episode, <laughs> I was ready for something, but I wasn't ready for that. So this is my unfiltered, authentic reaction and just, wow, did not see that coming. Yeah, it was a big one. This is something I remember after I stopped watching it originally in 2019, I went back. At, I think I when the episode premiered, I remember seeing like a recap or something like, let me see what happened. And I was like, oh, OK, that happened. Um, I do, before we get into just dis- dis- dissecting the episode, I was going to say discuss, and then I said dissect. I want to throw out a, a trigger warning um, because the episode did deal with suicide. Mm-hmm. So um, throwing that out there, stop listening right now if you if that's not something you want to hear about. Um, but yeah, uh, Nancy finds Lucy Sable's journal and that kind of answers all the questions until the last one that she needs to be answered. Um, it was a really heavy episode. It was. And I feel like if you went into it not knowing, uh, this episode would blow you away. Uh, I don't think, I was trying to think, like I knew, I got spoiled by tweets actually. Because um, I think Kennedy had had tweeted something about the necklaces she was wearing. And she was like, yeah, it's for both her moms. And I was like, both her moms. Um, and then I saw another picture. It was like, she's like, Nancy's two dads. It's like, oh. So the episode, I think 
12 of season two started to make it a little bit more sense um, <laughs> to, to me. But I just think that it's not something that you would immediately guess that that's the direction that they were going in. Maybe in this episode where she's like, I'll just give my hair for a mother daughter connection. I was like, oh no, it's, it's this episode. Yeah. And then when they went into Lucy's house, um, they saw the wasps nest, bees, mm-hmm. hornets. And Ryan was like, I'm allergic. And Nancy's like, me too. And they just kind of kept yeah. going. <laughs> so I, picked up a, I, I don't, I don't think they've laid any Easter eggs out in any of the other episodes. Maybe if you were looking for it, you would see it, but that was like the most um, on the nose. <laughs> like <laughs> this is coming. Um, but yeah, just to explain Lucy wrote in her journal a suicide note that she was Mm -hmm. going to uh, die by suicide and what i'll explain it should we get into it i'll get into it yeah so nancy reveals all that on the stand at her father's trial to um prove his innocence and everyone's like blown away like yeah he didn't do it it was lucy did it herself because at that time she thought lucy had stolen a knife from her parents home and the reason why Carson's fingerprint was on it was because it, he it was a knife from his home. Mm-hmm. But come to find out that when Nancy found out about the the mother daughter match, it wasn't who she believed to have been her mother. It was her and Lucy, and she is the daughter of Lucy Sable and Ryan Hudson, and Carson and what's her mom's name? I do not remember. I don't either. Mm-hmm. Not particularly important to this uh, description, but <laughs> Nancy's parents were there when Lucy was on the cliff and she, Lucy gave them Nancy, the baby that she had just had because she was running away from Ryan's father. And before Ryan, or not Ryan, uh, Carson and Nancy's mother can stop Lucy, she had already died by suicide and fell off the cliff and Carson went down to try to find her but he only found the dress so that's why he had the dress and the house a whole situation that Nancy did not see coming no it was emotionally a lot mm-hmm. um and the where she started the episode emotionally where she ends up it's just really turned upside down by this news um and you can kind of see why Carson Carson was willing to let her believe whatever she needed to believe during this case, with exception to having killed Lucy, um, because this was a lot. Like, this is something that he has kept quiet her entire life. Um, I also felt like he gave her a bit of, um, not necessarily hope, but I think it would have been important for her to, like, did Lucy commit suicide or did she just slip? Like, they'll never know because they weren't looking at the time. Um, and which part is, I think obviously her committing suicide is sad, but it's also sad if um, she had decided to walk away from that moment after having had Nancy and she didn't get that chance. Like it's a, it speaks to, Nancy was right on that stand about how um, the real killer, like yes, um, the idea was that Lucy killed herself, but she was driven to that by an entire town. Like you drove an 18 year old, girl to a cliff like because of how you treated her because of rumors from grown people yeah Mm -hmm. and they were grown like these are real grown adults with their own child 
who were shaming another like a child they didn't want their son to be with. And it drove her to, 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 she got so depressed that she ended up on the cliffside. Like, this is the town's fault. And then they perpetuated a ghost story about her. Like, it just is worse. It's like, every, the more you learn about what happened to Lucy Sable, the more angry I get about Horseshoe Bay mm-hmm. and the people who live there. It's not a cute little town in Maine. Like, they're actually not great people. I mean, obviously there are good people there, but as far as like the town and the way it's characterized, um, it's not great. And that scene with Nancy on the stand where she was she was reading it as, as it actually happened so that she wasn't just like, this is my evidence. She she told the story from start to finish, like any good like prosecutor or whatever would. And it just it was such a powerful scene because you could see it hit her as she read it as well. Like it, like Nancy, all, Nancy is so good at this. She usually has like a stone cold face when it comes to like investigating and things like that. But I feel like the fact that it hit her, she felt that connection with Lucy before she knew the truth. And I feel like that made me feel a lot as well because it was such a powerful motion, moment, especially the fact you could see everyone in the court feel it as well. That was an incredible, incredibly powerful and moving scene. And Kennedy did such a great job with that great material. Especially in the scene with her father, because mm-hmm. she, just based on the DNA, she I'm, she's smart enough, she pieced it all together. She knew she was Lucy's baby in that moment, but she was like, I need to hear it, the truth from you. No more no more of the secrets like we're we've come too far like the ship has sailed every everything needs to be revealed and she wants to hear it from him and the way he chose his words were i thought it was so moving um he kept he never said it was you until she said i was that baby mm-hmm. like he just kept saying how he was how he and his wife were taking in lucy's baby and promised to give her a good life and keep her away from all of this. And it was, I'm, we don't get to see, we haven't seen yet Lucy or not Lucy. Oh my gosh. Nancy's <laughs> uh, reaction to all that, how she feels about any of that. We don't know if she'll be angry. Um, if a weight's been lifted or if she's going to be re-energized to like continue to find more out about where she came from and, but the, the scene too, where Ryan was like, you, you don't have to deal with my family anymore. I was like, no, oh. not the truth. It's not the truth, Ellen. <laughs> <laughs> this is just, it's a lot for all of them to be able to, to navigate really. I mean, once, cause they have to tell Ryan at some point. I, um, and then the, I did like how Carson asserted himself as her father. Like, regardless of everything that happened, um, Nancy is his. Um, and that is, that's his perspective on it. Um, that, that has never changed, never wavered. She's his to love and his to protect the same. And that's the way her mom felt too. And I just thought ne- tiptoeing around it, like even with him being as direct as he possibly could be, but also trying to make sure that she doesn't feel displaced in his heart. Um, that scene was very emotional and they did amazingly with it uh i love all the nancy parts in the episode i wasn't a fan of the best parts and i wasn't a fan of the phantom parts but the nancy parts i really enjoyed yeah i was gonna say i was with best because uh george and nick were getting on my nerves i was like can you guys like knock it off for today (laughs) (laughs) not about you right now (laughs) oh it felt manufactured i think that's why i didn't like it like i felt like it felt like they hit fast forward a little bit yeah Mm-hmm. Yeah. The fact like, that I'm, they, not, I'm not here yet why are they here <laughs> yeah. 
the fact that things were going very good at the start and they had that, well, double entendre conversation about sleeping on the couch and everything. And I was like, okay, we're moving very fast. Of course, there had to be some conflict afterwards, but it felt incredibly forced as well. Um, yeah, it was fine, but like the, the standard of the rest of the episode was so high, it felt that was a little bit below it, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it does. Because Bess felt like a plot device um, in that moment, just so Nick could find out yeah. about um, Nancy and Owen. I did appreciate Nancy's apology because that definitely was not the way she... But I don't, as a girl, you weren't going to tell him that anyway. It's not like you and Owen <laughs> are together. But like, sure, you didn't want him to find out this way. Uh, but like, it leads to... I was the, like, but I was like, why? She can do whatever she wants. Yeah, I think... part of that. And I know that there was like a respect level because their relationship was very messy and like she did not treat him the best but i was like is she not allowed to to do what she wants and live her life the way she wishes I it was a, that, it's a tricky situation <laughs> it is but i think it's specifically because it was owen and he had been suspicious of owen like he was worried about their attraction in the first place during their relationship and oh she sleeps with him like she can do whatever she wants but since that was a problem in their relationship, she would apologize, I think, for him finding out that way, not that she would have told him that she slept with Owen. They're not in a relationship. She's in a relationship with neither of these men, but still. Uh, and it was interesting that they used it as like, oh, the grace period is over. I, was, I didn't realize y'all were going through the grace period. I, did you want to get with George before that? What is happening in this dialogue? So I bumped past mm-hmm. them. I didn't like, <laughs> I, like, I, it just, it didn't work for me, but the ace stuff was nice. He was um, adorable throughout the entire episode. And so I loved when he was in the cooler with just the bones yeah. and Nancy calls him and is like, can you do this? And he was like, yeah, just give me a minute. And he has the bones <laughs> in his arm and he's like trying to go on his phone and hack in. I was like, oh. <laughs> sweet, sweet Prince. Yes. <laughs> I love how you, uh, the awkward moment we were just talking about. Yeah, I I know Bess has a, a reputation for being a little bit like quirky and awkward. I just don't think she would have done that to Nancy by screaming it out loud. So it was a little mm-hmm. bit of an awkward moment. But I uh, I adored the fact that Ace was the one that kind of tried to break the ice because they were all just kind of there, not knowing what to say. And he just reaches across and picks up the box like bone time. And then like <laughs> <laughs> the forensic guy is like, no, I, we call this forensic analysis, but like Ace was like, no, bone time. He just broke the ice. <laughs> and he <laughs> had it in the Hanukkah decoration. <laughs> <laughs> Which does the, I'm assuming that means he's Jewish because I think it came from his house because he said he made the clay um, dreidel. Mm. Very so, proud of that dreidel. He was very <laughs> proud of that dreidel, and he should be because it was a beautiful dreidel. <laughs> <laughs> but now the aftermath, I cannot wait to the next episode because I, I want to know yeah, how Nancy's year. doing. Yeah. Oh, right. Oh my God, we're almost done with season one, and then we'll be on to season two. This the ship is not stopping at any point because um, mm-hmm. it's such a fantastic show. It's so great, even though I was annoyed by two elements this episode. It's still, <laughs> it's still a great series. Um, but to end this pod, just want to say one last time, Starfield deserved better. Without question. I mean, I could rant on. I probably have. You've heard me in the DMs. You've heard me in the Twitter. You've, you'll, you'll hear me on this. But it's just uh, boring at this point. Why do our favorite shows keep getting canceled? There's no transparency about it. And like uh, show the quality of Stargirl. And it's, it's not just a bad quality, but Stargirl is one of the best, highest quality shows you'll find on TV. It just deserves so much better than that. If it was only supposed to last three seasons, I don't have a problem with that. And I'm sure they'll make it look that way one way or another. But again, this, this show inspired so much love. It was one of the best performance shows on the network. It was out here holding its own when they weren't giving it any promo. Just 
I'll, I've underpinned it before. I'll underpin it again. Stargirl deserved better. Anyway, CW will be thin again. Um, That's <laughs> <laughs> probably going to be the, the way it is for a while. The running theme at this point. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, but still tune in, you guys, on Wednesdays mm-hmm. at 8 p.m. Get your Star Girl life for as long as you can. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, um, so we are the CW Spiral. I'm Sabrina. I'm Michael. And I'm Reeve. Bye, y'all. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.